and Matt Show, the disc golf podcast you've been looking for. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to week number four of the Nick and Matt Show. Uh, it's pretty crazy that we're already on week number four. We did a ton of planning to get this show going for you guys, and we're already a month in. It's pretty insane, Matt. Yeah, so... We added, I don't know if you noticed there in our, our quick intro, and this is obviously for the people that are watching live, but check this out. Look, we can, we can, you can see us from behind. If we put stuff up on the TV, you can kind of look at it. So if you're listening to this podcast later, you got to come check out what I'm talking about. Um, so, um, Nick, how's it been going? Uh, what, what happened this week? Anything stand out that you want to tell everybody about? I went golfing with Simon Lazat probably played the best front nine I've ever played on a golf course. And then I uh, proceeded to shoot my, what I would consider my average back nine, but two tournaments went on in the disc golf world, the majestic and the Tennessee state Championships. Wait a second. Wait a second. Go for it. I know what the answer is going to be, but was golf harder than disc golf? Yeah. To you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and I just want to touch really quickly. I can't believe actually, I'm kind of, I'm surprised. Um, we, we've been doing this now. This is our fourth episode and we have people literally getting on YouTube and subscribing and commenting. To me, the comment part is like awesome, but then like the subscriptions and we have people it literally interacting with what we're talking about. Yep. Like who, who are we? to bring up these conversations that people want to talk about, or they think it's worth talking about. Yeah. It's very humbling. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, it makes me actually, as we go, even consider like, maybe I'll ask more questions just to see what our followers are thinking. I was going to say these cool little snippets that you're putting out there, you know, just talking brief five minute videos of the topics that we've been talking about. People are really engaging in those. And to anyone that has been engaging in those, thank you so much. They're really fun for Matt and I to do. We really appreciate all the feedback with the getting getting back on it. And uh, we love kind of having these debates on the topics. We, you know, are having a good time doing it. We're glad people are actually enjoying it. Yeah, for sure. So um, let's see here. We got some topics tonight. Um, we're going to talk about some of the tournaments that happened this last week. And it's actually, we started our show before tournaments were really back in swing. Yep. And so that's kind of a, a, a new thing for us. We're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to ask the question and talk about is par too easy in disc golf and what does that even mean mm -hmm. hey by the way shout out to casey white and Wes shenavar i mean we've got What's people up, boys? jumping on live here um we're gonna also talk about pay to watch disc golf now nick's got a bone to pick with this one and we're gonna talk a, about a slight it. slight one and everyone's gonna think i'm a little you know we talked about pay to play courses recently now we're talking about pay to watch disc golf you know, it's all in good fun. We're talking about things that we potentially could say would help grow the sport. We're talking about things that potentially will revolutionize it in the next level of getting everything better. Um, we're not looking for disc golf to charge like country clubs. Believe me when I say that. I I would not be able to play if disc golf's charged like country clubs. But um, we just think they're really fun topics to talk about. And they're also very entertaining, I think, and engaging for other people to get in on. For sure. And then um, last but not least... Hunter Thomas of Foundation Disc Golf and Supreme Flight. We're going to ask how that works, by the way. Uh, maybe you have the same question I do, but we're going to welcome him on. And if you don't recognize the name right out of the gate, you probably recognized Foundation Disc Golf. And why that is, is because you see Paul Macbeth all the time featured on their videos. 
You've seen Brody Smith featured in their videos. And last night, um, if you stayed up. And Nick Carl. <laughs> Nick Carl. Actually, that's where we discovered the Nick 10 coach for sure. So Rest that's. In peace. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. So Foundation Disc Golf, uh, Hunter Thomas will be on um, in just actually very little bit here. I'd like to remind everybody, just like we, we gave the shout outs to YouTube. And I'm just like, again, I'm just blown away. Um, I think in a week's time, we had over 150 followers join in a one week. We've got a couple hundred followers now, which is a small feat, obviously. Mm -hmm. But just like anything that starts, it has to start somewhere. And we have people commenting. We have people saying things that they that are on their minds. Um, we've had people say that that interview with Hannah Macbeth was the most. Imp uh, they, they they couldn't say enough about how that was the greatest interview in all disc golf content that they've ever watched. Now. That's not because of us. That's because Hannah was very yeah. genuine. Um, She's a very easy person to talk with. Right. So just as a reminder, would you guys subscribe if you're listening, if you're watching us on iTunes? I mean, on iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, would you subscribe? If you're on YouTube, subscribe. We're doing this live right now through Facebook. We may end up cross-platform live streaming at some point. We're on Spotify, Instagram. Find us wherever it's convenient for you. But really, without further delay, we're gonna. I'm gonna turn it over to Nick here. Well, I guess at this point, we're gonna be welcoming my boy Hunter Thomas. Hunter was actually one of the first people when I lived down in Virginia that I met. Actually, the day that I moved down there, he was having a game night at his family's house. He used to have game night for all of Liberty University's disc golf team. And Hunter's got the nicest family. Back then, I think he was engaged already. He'll be able to talk well, on that more. But anyways, his wife of now is super awesome. She was there. I got to meet everyone. And um, I guess at this point, let's bring him onto the show. He's sitting in the green room right now, ready to open up. And we'll be able to talk about the huge announcement that they made last night. We'll be able to talk about things that have to do with Foundation and Supreme Flight. We'll be able to talk about how I'm his favorite sponsored athlete. You know, <laughs> just brought in tons of stuff for the company. And uh, looking forward to the future of it. Anyways, here we go. Matt's going to bring in Hunter Thomas right now. Yeah. So again, if you're here watching live, you got to see him for the past 10 seconds. If you're listening on audio, here he is. Welcome to the show, Hunter. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about y'all? Good. good. So this is actually, Hunter, I think uh, this may be the second time that I've actually audibly communicated with you once was just randomly in a car ride that you were with Paul and I was talking to Paul and he's like, Hey, the foundation guys are here. And it was one of those things, but this is the first time where it's, it's like, I'm going to call it COVID face-to-face. -face. Like we're, we're virtually face-to-face. -face. Um, so welcome to the show. Um, real quick. Have you, I've seen some of your foundation face-offs and things that you've done. You've played ball golf, uh, at least in a few of the episodes. Um, and I know you're a disc golfer, so I know what your answer is going to be. But we talked about it last week. Which sport is actually harder? And and that's a very long question because are we talking par? Are we talking the skill it takes to perform at the highest level? Are we talking against competition and all that? But like in the general sense, which one comes easier to you? I mean, easier to me is disc golf by far. Uh, but uh, I think that ball golf is harder because it's been around longer. So I think that the top tier, uh, the top level of performance is on a level that disc golf isn't at yet because mm -hmm. disc golf hasn't been around long enough to have a true top of the sport. And I think that will get there because there's more, I think if you look at the ins and outs of controlling a disc, there's more to master within that. Um, obviously there's like a slice, a hook, draw, all that, you know, spin and stuff like that. But as far as what you can make a disc do, there's more to master. And I think once players at the top, 
push that ceiling, then I think it'll be a different, different story. But as of right now, my answer is golf is hard to do. Yeah. So, but just to clarify, cause one day I'll have a guest on here who agrees with me and, and he was being very nice and generous there. And we're not going to talk about this topic tonight, but here's the deal. He alluded to the fact that it's harder competition, but as far as the sport itself to throw a disc and to do it the way that, and I'm just going to say the way that Paul does it, I think it takes, and, and this is kudos to Paul. I think it takes just as much work to do it the best that he is doing it. Maybe to, get to, to, to get to a level that he's at, it takes way more work yeah. than people actually think about. Right. So disc golf entry yeah. again, we don't get back to that topic. So yep. <laughs> I was like, let's do this week's topic. That was such a, a fun topic so, to say that. All right. So Nick, what happened this week? There's been a few tournaments and, and Hunter, um, actually, do we want to go to, yeah, let's go to Hunter now get some updates from Hunter on yeah. some of these things. We know a lot's been going on there. Hunter, you have a crazy amount of stuff going on. So kind of a couple things we <laughs> wanted to talk about just briefly. You had a big announcement last night. You had a fail at an, I'm just kidding. You had a big announcement <laughs> last night. Uh, we want to figure out what's the kind of like deal with foundation and Supreme flight. I'm rocking a foundation hat. I thought we'd be matching tonight, but we're not. You're rocking Supreme flight. Mine's super dirty, so I didn't get to wear it. Um, last but not least, what's the vision for Foundation Disc Golf? After you talk about the big announcement that you guys had, what's the future and hold for? Am I still sponsored? What's going on? I guess that'll depend. If you're still sponsored, it'll depend on how the rest of this goes tonight. Um, <laughs> but, no, so the big announcement um, was basically we announced Paul as an owner. He's been an owner and been with us since the beginning, but he wanted to kind of build – he wanted to build a company without his name being officially attached to it. Really? And then the no idea. The <laughs> second part of the announcement was that Brody Smith has also bought in and is now um, another one of the faces of Foundation Disc Golf. So basically what that means uh, in the short term is going to be a lot of pushing on social media, um, more so than we already were doing, which felt like a lot, but mm -hmm. we got some bigger plans coming. And then a lot of um, custom stamps and custom runs um, are going to be in store. We already have some coming in next week. We kind of dropped that last night. Jawbreaker. I was going to say those are the Jawbreaker wasps, week. right? Yeah, Brody. Yeah, I other, mean, Paul loves those. Paul's been killing it with those in the 2019-2020 season. And Brody was always like, "Dude, that's such like a get freaky disc, like such a dark horse disc." Okay. Yeah. He loves it. So yeah. I think obviously. I mean, there's so much that goes into running any business of any size. And whether you're bringing in huge cash flow or you're not, if you're trying to operate a business at the best level, highest level you can, it's an incredible amount of work. And so just to say to even bring in Brody or Paul, while that seems like a slam dunk to everybody, there's things that are obviously a part of having two superstars a part of your business as well. And I'm sure that that's going to have its own challenges. And that's, that's literally not to, to say anything negative towards anybody. But again, I go back to, and I've, I've started and tried to run and get businesses started up many times. You bring personalities into it. And obviously it, it, it's a journey and it's something that obviously if you find the right partnerships, it's going to flourish and do an amazing thing. So you last night, um, you said, yeah, you announced that Paul and Brody came on. So can you kind of just clarify just a little bit? Because I think I heard it last night. But for those who weren't on your channel, um, Supreme Flight and Foundation, because I've known Supreme Flight for quite a while. Um, I think it. what's Paul's friend, John? John. Yeah, John. Um, he owned that over there, Supreme Flight. And 
Um, so what what happened now? Like, is it are the brands like one or are they still two separate managed by the same thing? Give us the lowdown on that. Yeah, so Supreme Flight was ran by Tompkins for I believe he started in 2014. Uh, and then basically early this year reached out to Paul and was basically just ready to move on, um, ready to, to move on to different things. And what we were trying to do with foundation kind of lined up to a, a lot of what Supreme Flight had already built. So it made sense um, kind of from a business standpoint. And we bought out Supreme Flight back in March and relaunched their website in April and ran it as two separate websites. Uh, we kind of just kept them both on the same path for a few months to kind of feel that out. Um, and then as of two weeks ago, we merged them. So moving forward, basically what it's going to look like is Supreme Flight is going to kind of be a line of discs and apparel within foundation. Um, so basically the Indian sun stamps, we have some new Supreme Flight stamps in the works. Uh, stuff like that is all going to stay there. The brand is going to stay the same. It's just going to be kind of a sub-brand under foundation. So foundation will be the big umbrella that Supreme Flight kind of fits under. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's cool. Um, I'm, I'm glad for you guys. Um, I think disc golf businesses alone are a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just kind of being honest with even I, so people know that watch this show, like I started the organization or or I should say business. It's funny to call it a business, but kids disc golf. And um, to operate at any level is just extremely hard unless and I'll just say it unless you've got Paul and Brody really backing as well. Um, and that's true for any any big disc golf business or any business that needs to flourish with disc golf here at this point in history. I think that's what it's going to take. Um, can I I, I want to tread a little bit lightly here, but it is the Nick and Matt show and I'm Matt and I, I want to ask really quickly, um, just if you want to address it at all, we have people chiming in and I'm sure you've had people chiming in a thousand times. Um, the news is that, and I saw your post, one of the original founders with you, I think that's how you'd call him if that's, if that's accurate there, um, Zach, um, has stepped away to other ventures or other things. And if you just want to address that at all, um, we have people that are interested in that. Yeah. So there's, I think there's several different layers to it. Um, you know, the answer that I have to give is the same answer that we've given on our social media, which is we can't discuss the details that went, went on, uh, went into it. One answer I can give that I've asked, been asked a lot is Zach and I are still friends. Um, so I can give that answer, uh, cause that's a personal answer. But as far as the business side goes, um, we're we're not at liberty to discuss it on either side of either side of the coin. So cool. Can't really go too much into it. Wish we could, but yeah, this how it is. But do you really wish you? No, I'm kidding. So it, obviously, there's <laughs> there's difficulties or or whatever. There's it's business, and so I get that. Yeah. There's things in business that I can't talk about as well. In fact. Mm -hmm. Nick can't talk about driving explosives around too much. Yeah, exactly. It's just a big no-no. People aren't allowed to know where I store everything. That's, so yeah. So the Fourth of July is coming up. I know where you park your truck. <laughs> yeah. um, so at my house. no, thanks for sharing that. And I just want to say this too. Um, for those who are interested, I get why you're why you're very interested because the things that we can't know about are the most interesting things. Now, the reality is it's probably not the most interesting thing, but I had to ask it because that's what's being asked. Um, but I will say this. I actually really appreciate the fact that you followed it up with you guys are still friends. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, that's not going to be like what they want. Like they want to hear it all. But like to me, I'm like, then I don't care. I'm ready to move on. Like, that's cool. 
Yeah. And if you said you weren't friends, I'd probably still say I want to move on, but I would just be a little sad. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially yeah. because, you know, Zach and Hunter, they did the foundation. They've been so beyond great about the foundation face-offs and their social media game. You know, you, you always saw both of them. You rarely saw one without the other. And so Zach kind of – Zach and Hunter – become people that you really know you feel like you could have a conversation with them anytime you saw them outside of the foundation stuff so obviously best of luck to zach i was just talking with him the other day about everything and you know best of luck to him so can i ask this for the future um assuming and i don't know you personally but i've seen i think we're friends on facebook you know the the good old thing like that but i think i've seen you do like some you do some graphic or marketing or something within that realm and it seems to me that people who are in that kind of a, a space are typically more visionary than those who are in like a different space and so i've imagined you've probably thought down the road and i'm not saying you have plans but like where do you think the the biggest dream picture is for foundation disc golf like i'm talking like where you're like, man, one day it could be like, what does that look like? There is a lot of layers to that question because I, I mean, as you kind of depicted, I dream a lot of dreams when it comes to where the business is headed and the opportunities. I think one big thing that the door is now more open than ever is the social media side um, and growing that, treating it less as something to drive traffic to our business and start treating it as a business itself kind of within mm -hmm. um, within our business. I think that's one of the, the shifts that down the road could turn into something bigger. Um, but as far as the, the retail side, I think our online store, we want to continue to grow, going to look a lot different with Paul and Brody being owners. Um, and so it's going to take a little bit in the short term, kind of figuring out what our identity is as a retail store, because it's it's not the same goal we had a year a year ago. Um, but I think long term, our goals remain pretty much the same. We, we want to have a brick and mortar uh, somewhere in town um, and ideally on a championship level course. Uh, that's been a goal from when we started. We wanted the even the reason we picked the name foundation is we wanted to be able to be the foundation that this local community could be built on and then be able to take that model elsewhere and continue to grow sport to grow the sport in that way. Um, so I think that's uh, kind of the, the big picture is down the road, just continue to grow and expand the online store. And as we grow the retail side, um, kind of look into different opportunities that are presented within that. Yeah. Uh, that's cool because I remember in the early stages of foundation back in 2017, you and Paul's kind of goal for everything. And it's still to this day, very, very similar. Um, I think the only thing that's changed is kind of like the beginning logo that you guys use. But the goal was always to have a brick and mortar store and really kind of the meaning of foundation is to build it from the ground up and have that community start as your foundation. And then you'll be able to spread it everywhere. And it's pretty crazy because you know, the couple of times I've been down to Virginia since you guys started the business, you know, I help out Paul or I help out you. We fill orders and it'd be like three orders and then we are done. And then it's like, okay, what else can we do? And then the last time I was down there, like crazy stuff was going on. And all of a sudden I'm sitting downstairs with Paul and I'm, we're filling a hundred orders, especially when Supreme Flight came along too. And it was like, yeah, it was insane. Just crazy from the year. What's it been about a year and a half? Then, yeah, right at about yeah, a year, just about a year, year and a half, months. and you guys have already like, it's insane. So kudos to you guys. 
Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so just real quick for anyone that's live, I just changed up um, the audio just a little bit for uh, Hunter because I felt like we were getting off set there, but I think I probably pulled it back in. So if there's any issues, let us know. Um, so let's go ahead and if, if unless there's anything else you want to break and publicize right now on the Nick and Matt show, I mean, we're getting a lot of attention lately. This might be the I, place to do it. I, I got something. So before... There was code Nick 10 and all the foundation uh, team members had a code that you could use for 10% off. Now it's an affiliate link that Hunter will be able to explain a little bit better than I will. So if you could just explain how to help out people on the foundation team, like it's, it's really appreciated. Any, anyone who used code Nick 10 or Oakle Heiser or Jeff 10, any one of those, we super appreciate it. Obviously ordering from foundation is an incredible thing, but now it's an affiliate link that Hunter can kind of, Take 30 seconds, explain it really quick, and then we're going to get into the real topics tonight. Yeah, so uh, basically, if you were one of the people that are using code NICK10 up to this point, you one were helping thousands. Nick out. <laughs> Not thousands. <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> uh, but if you were one of those people, you were helping Nick out kind of on the back end, so he would get uh, basically a cut of the sales and merch and, and different things, and the more his code was used, the more likely we were to send him, you know, disc review and stuff like that. We're changing up the model mainly because of we want to be able to provide more benefit to our Patreons, mm -hmm. our patrons, um, members over on Patreon. Uh, so we needed to kind of free up some of the discount code for, for there. Um, so that kind of got rid of the discount code model. So now that the affiliate link is a thing, basically to help out the players like Nick um, and other players on the team, you need to go interact directly with their post. So when he posts on Facebook, Instead of going and opening a separate like browser and just typing in foundationdisc.com, you need to actually click on his link, and that will let us know you came straight from Nick's post, which in theory is probably how it should have been from the beginning. I just didn't know how to set that up when we, when we started it all, but it makes a lot more sense because now we can kind of track, hey, Nick is generating all of this traffic. You know, Next year, let's make sure we give him... X, Y, and Z. A salary, an RV. I've got multiple things I could ask from you guys, you know, just, <laughs> just saying. You, you can ask whatever you want. <laughs> no, that's, hey, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, cool. Well, we appreciate you kind of enlightening us on that. Um, I'm going to post that link. I'm going to annoy everyone with it on Instagram and on Facebook. But uh, I just want to support my boys over at Foundation, Brody and Paul, Hunter. I love those guys. And so that's that. But anyways, let's get on to... Disc golf. I mean, shoot, we finally had some tournaments happen this weekend. Hunter, I don't know if you really saw or read up on any of it, but we had the oh, Minnesota Majestic in Minnesota, obviously, and the Tennessee State Championships in Tennessee. Now, real quick, spoilers. So we've we've only got like two oh, people yeah. watching right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we've, we've got people watching live. Um, so if you're watching live right now and you haven't watched the coverage or seen that, literally mute out for the next three minutes although yeah. we don't really want you to just take it just oh, learn yeah. about the event exactly. we'll tell you we'll we'll educate it's you been, on the event. let's see the final round coverage came out potentially on monday or tuesday and if you haven't seen it yet then i, I don't know okay was there so, was there even um filming for tennessee i'm not sure i don't think so unless it was like a smartphone so here's the yeah. deal spoiler <laughs> alert this is your last chance okay here we go cool kevin uh, jones yep takes it down Okay, now that's just straight to it. Here you go. He takes it down. Guess what he averaged for uh, round ratings? I mean, I know you know. You have the show notes. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea? Uh, we didn't send you the show notes, Hunter. So wh what do you think he averaged to win? Any ideas? I mean, 
I feel like since you're asking me, it's either really high or really low. So I'm going to go with, man, because I honestly, I didn't yeah. really see too much. He shot, I was caught up in Tennessee State. He shot 24 uh, under total after um, 54 holes. Uh, yeah. 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 Two rounds of 27. So he shot 24 under. So that might, I don't know. I'll just tell you unless you have a guess. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with ten six. That's not bad. It was a thousand forty eight. So you were twelve off. That's that's okay. that's pretty good. So a thousand forty eight average was what it took to win it. But honestly, he could have played not as hot or not as good, and he would have won it. I think he mm -hmm. won by ten strokes. Um, so he shot thirteen uh, or eleven under par the first round and thirteen under par for round two. Um, so they only did two rounds, but they were rounds of twenty seven holes. So 11 and 13 under par. And then round two was rated 1,059. It was the hot round. So 1,059 was uh, right on with what you were guessing for the average. So yeah. that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then at that event, and we're not going to spend a long time on recaps because there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about tournaments. We're not going to be one of those. We'll talk about the relevant topics. Yeah, but, we'll kind of hit it real quick. But, but so I just wanted to say most disappointing, if you will, and the way I look at most disappointing is highest rated furthest down the chart. And um, it's just kind of like a literal, um, not a sanity check, but I just look down and see who it is. Mm -hmm. One guess, one guess who it was at that event. Yeah. Do you know who played that event at all, Hunter? Okay. No, if I, I tell I'll you, okay, so give me a list of names. Okay. Um, let's go with um, James Conrad. Nico LaCastro. Nico, Paul Uliberry. Um, and so those three. Out of those yeah. three, who finished the most disappointed? I'm I'm going with Yuli. You got it. So yeah. Yuli uh, do my boy like that. Yeah. No, I mean <laughs> he know he knows it and, and I'm sure he's not happy with himself either. Although I'm not saying he should be down on himself. I'm sure things didn't go his way. But he shot a nine ninety six average. So obviously that wasn't enough to win at nine ninety six. Wow. Yeah. So um, but he still finished six under par. And do you think he cashed or not at a 996 A tier? How many players? Oh, right, I don't know. Now you're I don't know. Let's just say, let's say, let's say there okay. was 90, uh, 90 or 100. I was over 60 probably. Okay. I'll go. Yeah. He did. I think that, I think he was the last cash. No, funny enough. Last cash, 977 rated golf got you cash at the Minnesota Majestic, which is pretty okay. crazy. Um, for a lot of the obviously big events and even a tiers, you got to average over shoot nine ninety thousand just to make money. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. The competition skill wise that even the local areas, you know, C tiers, B tiers, A tiers, it's getting hard to even cash at those. Um, unless, you know, you're in a field of like six to eight people, it's a little bit easier, but when you have a big event like this, where a good portion of the majority, uh, excuse me, a good portion of the touring players are there to kind of get back in the swing of things. You know, I th 977, that's a lot lower than I thought it would be. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and part of that is, it's the first event. I say first event. It's it's <laughs> feels the, like the, first, it's the event. first event that had the most, I would call them touring professionals at it. Now, I looked, yeah. I looked at the competition, and I think it was this event. I mean, you had uh, AMs, I, I say AMs, 930 rated players, 920. Like, you know, they, they all want to get in. I, I So... Anyways, th there's a whole mixed match of people in there, but let's move on to Tennessee States. And the reason why is not because that's a huge, massive event that everybody loves to talk about. But if I say Chris Dickerson, or you look it up on PDGA.com, you'll find this. By the way, if you look up Chris Dickerson on PDGA.com, the first person you find is probably not the Chris Dickerson, you know, 
It just so happens. I've noticed that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see? I, I looked at it earlier. I was like, wait, when did his rating go down to 914 or 941 or something like that? And I was just I was like, when do you do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's in Wisconsin now. Wow, yeah. he got his PDGA number early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, but Chris Dickerson, here's why we're bringing him up. You've probably heard about it. Again, spoiler alert. Here it goes. He shot 19 under par during an 18-hole round. Now, 17 under par was his first round. So that's like... Have you ever walked away from a tournament round hunter being like, wow, I just shot 17 under and 19 under like two separate rounds ever. Not even, I mean, and I'm not going, if you put two rounds together, I might be close. Yeah, and you're still not <laughs> even close. <That's> a... <laughs> so, so that's like, that is literally incredible. And I'm an amateur. I'm only rated like 935 right now. I think my highest so ever. Yeah. I think my highest rating was like almost 950. But here's the thing, like my best amateur, like round, not even like rated was like 10 or 11 down. And I was like stoked. So here's the, here's, the, here's the question. You ready, Nick? Mm -hmm. I'm going to drop it like this. Ready, ready, Hunter. Here it goes. I'm ready. Is this a greater round than Paul Macbeth at Deeglo or Waco or Fountain Hills? Uh, Fountain Hills, I'd have to see the course, but the other, of the, his 18 down, not, no, it's not even close. Okay, so what do you think Chris Dickerson had for a rated or a rating after shooting 19 under par on 18 holes? It was in, was it in the 1070s, yep. right? I think I saw it. Was it was 1075. 10, yeah. 1075. So yeah. by rating, what's the highest rated round ever, Nick? 1132. And where was that? Fountain Hills. Fountain Hills. Now, I've been out there. And I'm from, and we've talked about this numerous times, I'm from Maple Hill, Lester, Mass, literally, like that's where I'm from. And so I play with trees and woods and lanes and OB. And not to say Fountain Hills doesn't have OB with the water, but it's a totally different thing. And I've argued slash debated slash picked Paul's brain on which which round was better, Maple Hill, Vibram Open or that. And he, he you can ask him some point if you want to, but his answer is Fountain Hills was. Now with D-Glow and Waco, have either of you asked him which is a better round? Does he still go back to Fountain Hills? I'll no. What's that? Deglo. I think Deglo, he will even admit, is the greatest round of all time. I think I think he will in a sense of it was a lot harder, obviously, to shoot the 18 down at Deglo. But the reason he always says Fountain Hills was his greatest round, and this answer might have changed. I haven't actually asked him this in a while, but his Fountain Hills round was pushing for the win. So when he shot a 15 down at Maple Hill, which is a 45 on the Gold's layout, is insane. He won the tournament, but I think eight strokes. So he, he had the win all day. Fountain Hills, his 17 down was to push a playoff against Shustrick. And then, so that's insane. Like the clutchness of that round. But at the same time for D-Glow, that course is really hard. The par threes at that course are pretty, pretty hard to get. And for him to bang those like 60, 70 foot jump putts, especially the one on hole 18 is just absurd. So yeah, I think when you bring that into the conversation, D-Glow is probably the best round ever played. Waco's 18 down was okay, obviously great, but not as good as D-Glow's. Okay. So that was just a short teaser for a future episode. We actually are going to be talking about the greatest round of disc golf um, and that's obviously going to be our our prerogative to decide what that is because we're Nick and Matt and we do what we want on our show. But that's a tease for that. But the, what I want to bring it back to is it was rated 1,075 with Chris going um, 
19 under on that round. Um, that is seemingly beyond perfect. And he finished with two Eagles. Now, did you see what happened on the internet after he did that? There was the like, hey, why is nobody talking about this? And then there's people that are like, it's obvious why nobody's talking about it because par is extremely soft. The eagles that he was throwing were like three or 400 foot holes. Like, um, yeah. so I guess where we're taking this now, and this is our segue, because we're starting to get better by four week, our fourth week, you see? We're, we're transitioning now into our first topic, yeah. which is, is par too easy in disc golf? And that's a very blanket statement. Let's break it down. Let's talk about all the avenues of that conversation. So in a general sense, do you feel comfortable, Nick, to say that par is too easy in disc golf? 1,000%. Yeah, it's uh, it's way too easy in disc golf. The reason I say that is there are some courses that, yes, the par is very spot on to how it should be, but there are other courses that really cater to the new people coming into the sport and they're kind of feel-good courses. Like, you go out there, you shoot really well. It's a feel-good, like, um, I'm trying to think. Up in Maine, you know, nothing against Maine courses. They're very, very fun to play. But Maine has a very soft par at a lot of their courses because there's so many families that go and play these courses. And it's it's better for someone to walk off a course when they're new, shooting seven or eight down rather than seven or eight over. You just It's a feel-good moment to be able to do that. But for, I think, a professional standpoint and an amateur standpoint i'd be i'm I'm more curious what chris thinks of that round he you know knows. what i mean he knows yeah yeah he knows but like i think a lot of people say this par is irrelevant it's how low you can shoot on a course that's it doesn't matter what the par is you're trying to take the least amount of strokes you're trying to play the least amount of disc golf to win a tournament so does it really matter what the par is no i don't think so but it is cool when you see tournaments like um Ledgestone, where they play Northwood Golds, that course looks really freaking hard. And I think Hunter, you've been there, so you can probably relay on that. But that what what were like the hot rounds? I think Ricky had the hot round in that course last year, and it was maybe just double digits on it, which is pretty insane because usually hot rounds, like hot rounds at Memorial every year is like 16 or 17 down. That's insane. But it's I don't know, that's the that's a different course. <laughs> but yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think Northwood's you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you have it pulled up, but I think that one over par is like a scratch round. Like that's a thousand rated round at Northwoods gold. Exactly. So here's okay. So let me kind of bring it in. Cause that was a great intro, Nick. I, I think talking like the differences and where par is and how it is and all that. Like, can I read a few um, quotes here that I found? And this is the game of golf. So you're going to be like, Matt's obsessed is golf harder than disc golf. But like, as far <laughs> as comparisons go, that is, has the same name in it. Um, people are obviously interested in, or the reason why, why would we say par is easy? Why would we say par is easy? Because we're basing it off of what we know about the other game, which is ball golf, traditional golf. Can I just read this quote from Arnold Palmer? And this was back 1958. He was a master's champion back then. And here's what he said. If you mean the perfect, someone asked him, what it, it, will the perfect game ever happen? Do you think there can ever be a perfect game in golf? And this is what he says. If you mean the perfect game within the realm of probability, maybe it will be played. That would mean hitting 18 perfect tee shots and 18 perfect second shots and landing in the cup in no more than one or two putts, but no one is ever going to birdie 18 holes. Okay. So like, so then there's, there's a million quotes here on this answer to this game. Um, so 
I guess where I'm going with this is we're basing is par easy or not on the question because of what we know about golf. How many people finish in a golf tournament? And let's go back to worlds a long time ago with Dave Felberg. He finished like almost a hundred under par. Oh, yeah. Maybe that was after like seven yeah, rounds. I was going to say, I think they played like seven or eight rounds back then. It was insane. And a final nine. So, I mean, again, that's, that's a different topic on how many rounds and all that. But I guess where I'm going with this, this topic is like, we're basing, is it easy or not off of what we know about the other game? So, so for instance, up here in central Massachusetts, where I'm from, where Maple Hill is, there actually used to be a really cool, um, extra activity after the Vibram open, people would go and play a game called candle pin bowling. And we would just call it bowling growing up because that's what was available to us. But it's different than 10 pin in the in the sense that like the pins are shaped differently and everyone's going to comment. Oh, this is duck pin bowling. No, it's not duck pin. Duck pin is like the really short, short stubby ones. Candle pin is almost the same size, but they're just not tapered as much like with yeah. the bowl at the end. They're more skinny the whole way and, up. And you get to bowl three balls similar to the size of like bocce ball. Okay. So it's like, it is different. Instead of two larger size, you get three of the bocce ball size and you can literally just whip them down there. I say whip them. It's, it is a different game, but here's the, here's the deal. I used to always get bothered and maybe I'm just someone who gets bothered easily. I don't know, Nick, but I would always get bothered because no people would say like, Oh, I don't like candle pin because it's so hard. And I'm like, but is it hard? And I guess I'm just looking at it standalone as a game. I'm going, it's a, it's its own game. It's literally its own game, but you're comparing it to using larger balls and knocking more down. Okay. Like at one time. And if you do that, then you would say, which, which one gets more pins down? I can agree with you. You're going to get more pins down with the 10 pin. But if we're talking about candle pin, it's, it's a matter of, it's, I don't think the question should be, do I get more pins down? Does that mean it's harder or not harder? It's a different game. And so where I'm going with this is maybe you say I'm devil's advocate, golf and disc golf, they're a different game. And just because one shoots more under par than the other doesn't necessarily mean that par is easy. Maybe that's how it's supposed to be for the sport. Maybe it's supposed to be you, instead of calling par like the average or what you should shoot for, maybe like birdie is the average in what you should shoot for in the game of disc golf. So I don't know. What do you, do you have any thoughts on that, either Hunter or Nick? Yeah, I think I think part of the whole question stems from uh, issue that we base par on golf. So like golf par is based on like a par three. It takes one shot onto the green and then an estimate of two putts. Mm -hmm. That's where golf par is. Disc golf, if you're on the green, it should only take one putt. So I think the question is almost should disc golf par use the same logic and turn what is now a par three into a par two. The issue with that is you're never going to birdie because you got to ace it. Yeah. So I think that's where like, it's kind of confusing because our par has clearly got to be different somehow. Um, to me, going back that's to like what par is. Nick was talking this about, golf, if you're on the green, but Nick. Yeah. Sorry. I hear. No, yeah. it, it, uh, <laughs> sorry. That was a technical I'm difficulty. I'm doing my own technical thing. Keep going. Oh, no, sorry about that. I thought it might have nope, been on my end after, after last night. I just figured <laughs> yeah. something's got to go wrong, you know? Panicking. Um, <laughs> uh, but back to what Nick was saying, where, like, there's some courses that are just naturally easy for beginners. I think the route disc golf should go is every course should have an am par and a pro par. So Interesting. There's, okay, a lot yeah. of par, there's a lot of par fours for ams that are just tough par threes for pros. 
and they're little tweener holes, and it's a big issue in disc golf because a pro is going to birdie it every time and an am's going to forward every time, so which one's right? Yeah. And so that's why I think that would be a good separation is maybe the pro tour has its own par type of a thing. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And it's funny. Actually, they kind of did that at Waco this year. They made the par more realistic to what it should be. And wait a second know, yeah. to what it should be. What do you mean? Like clarify that like the holes that were, um, cause if I go play it, me. if I go play that hole, am I going to think that par is correct? Yeah, I would. Yeah. As a nine thirty rated. And player. even, even the pros like hole 18 last year at Waco, which I think is hole 13 on the regular. Anyways. Yeah. Hold on. It'd be hole 13 during the pro tour event and something like that. Um, it's right before you get out of the woods Last year, it played as a par five. This year, it played as a par four. And a very, very large majority of the field parred or bogeyed it. Like, there, were, there wasn't a lot of birdies on it. And so this year's par was more difficult. Like, they upped the par by a couple strokes this year. And you could see that from the rounds. I think the hot round was 13 down. Or Colton shot 14 down, one or the other. There was something around that. But something like that. It's something like that, but... um. Yeah, they they made the par more to what the pros, kind of like what Hunter was saying, they made the par more of what the pros would be doing. Now, if they changed it back to what it was in 2018, no, 2019, then I think it would make sense for the more casual people who go out and play that course. Yeah, so I think, and you kind of brought it up in the intro here, but par, and actually you just brought it up too, Hunter, like maybe par is not it's again i'll say it's not the same sport and so it can be something different and i think as we're growing i don't know if you want to call them growing pains but like there are people that are going to look at it and do you think it's a bad perception for disc golf is it a bad perception to the pro world like i mean i'm talking like professional okay disc golf is professional and there's no dig there but i'm talking the three major four major sports like is it would it ever be easy to get compared with them because golf is in our name and we're shooting 40 under at a tournament. Like people are going to do the same thing. I told you about the candle pin and the 10 pin. They're just going to be like, that just seems way too easy. Mm -hmm. um, which, go yeah. which goes back to the previous episode. If you want to check that out, it's on is golf actually harder than disc golf or is, are we relating it to competition as well as par? And I think that's, that's it. I'm here. I am going back to it again. So let's, let's stay on topic. So people up in Maine are commenting right now saying they feel good about their under par shooting. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to lie. Like I've played a par five that was like 230 feet in Maine and I'm not digging Maine. Like they have private courses a lot that like, actually they I think really, 99 and a really half. Really beautiful course. I think they there. might have literally two public courses in the whole state or something. It's, it's incredible. It's all private scene. And the owners are not wrong to think that families are going to enjoy and feel better about themselves. Cause what you understand about par is that that's what you want to shoot. So if you have everybody like trying to shoot a par three on a hole that they've never played before a family, mm -hmm. they're just going to be like, this is really, really, really hard. So put it on a little lake and it's a par five. <laughs> so really, so as far as like, there's no, actually, you know what? I, we were going to try to have on, and, and not that we got him, but John Houck, of course, designer tonight, um, to discuss some of his thoughts on this. Because if you look at ball golf, and here I go back to it again, if you look at ball golf, there's standards for how long holes are for certain pars. They'll be like, hey, especially in the junior divisions, because I do a lot with kids disc golf, we try to look at like, what's the standard they use there to how we roll that over? Because that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. yeah. Par by division, as you mentioned, amateur and pro. 
juniors, you can't throw them on Maple Hill whole whole one and say, hey, this is a par four for an eight-year-old. Like it's literally it's it's <laughs> it's a par it's, twenty-five. No, it's literally like, yeah, it's like a par eight or nine. Yeah. And so is that okay? Like, or, or you know what I mean? There's so much to be discussed about par. It's yeah. relevant to the co- competitors at hand. That's my opinion. Um, I think it has to be relevant to the competitors at hand. Who was it designed for? Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, design comes in extremely. You're, are you helping Paul at all? Or is that solely Paul's project down there? I think it's Bedford or something, the disc golf course he's designing. I've helped on and off. Okay. Some it's, it's been mainly Paul though. And so do you have any insight? And I've always, we always ask about Paul to anybody who has the connections. Do you have any insight into how he's thinking there? Is it, is he creating it for like a park family friendly or is it going to be like um, pro championship or they're going to be multiple when the pars will be different based off of that? It's kind of a mix of all of that. I think the biggest thing, the majority of the pars will be the same, but there's different teeth. Yeah. So that's kind of where it, it's brought in. So if it's a 200 foot for an M par three, it might be a 350 foot for the pro. Yeah, exactly. Or something like that. I remember. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, keep going. No, I was yeah. going to say, I remember going to the course a couple of times and talking to, is it Kenny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kenny, talking yeah. to Ken and uh, talking about the design with Paul and everything like that. And eventually they kind of want to have three layouts there, uh, three different sets of tee. I think it's going to be one basket for the most part, but then three different tee pads, an amateur tee pad, pro tee pad, and then the tournament tee pad. So, which actually I think is a really cool idea. Um, the course is really well designed and it's a beautiful piece of property. And, uh, but yeah, I think having two different layouts there is going to be at least two different layouts there is going to be pretty awesome. And so, yeah, I kind of just had this, I don't want to call it an epiphany. That's huge. <laughs> but I had this thought process where I think you said something Hunter about Paul's creating it with the same pars, different tee pads. I think in my brain, here we go again, went right back to golf and you play a round of golf. And what do you have the par? And I can't say this for every course, but the par stays the same and you get juniors, women's, and uh, then you get like white, blue, yellow, whatever, however they do it um, to make the hole more difficult. Um, I think why don't more disc golf courses and I, I'm maybe I'm saying it too early in the game here, but more disc golf courses, and I know it's probably funds, finances. I don't want to bash on the people who are creating courses, but like that, I think is the answer. I mean, cause that's what we do for our junior events right now. We design the hole. We walk out to a par three and we say, is this a par three for an eight year old? And then we'll go, is this a par three for a 10 year old? A 12. Cause there's like, there's 12 different junior divisions. Um, and so you have to literally each hole, and that's where experience comes in. And I'll just say, we're really excited. This is kids disc golf here. We're really excited to work with Nate Heinold next year to run junior worlds. Um, so we're going to bring our experience there to do that. But mm-hmm. part, it's a very interesting topic. We've kind of, I don't want to say exhausted it because there's so much to talk about. Do you have any closing thoughts on it? We're going to move on to our next point. Well, uh, just really quick, bringing it back to golf. Like we always do. Uh, I went out and played with Simon. My one birdie of the round was on a par five. I actually was on the green in two and two putted for my birdie. In golf, your par fives are your easiest holes, then go your par fours, and then I think the par threes. When in disc golf, it's exactly opposite. The par threes are what we're trying to birdie, you know, deuce or die on, when the par fives are the holes where usually if you get an eagle on a par five, it's really impressive. So I just think I just think the way that we design courses, and obviously a lot of courses that were designed were designed back when technology in disc golf was not nearly what it is today. So in a sense, some of our courses are too short 
but that's an ever-growing process of now we got to kind of tiger-proof disc golf. We got to make the courses bigger <laughs> they, for. They said that. Yeah. After Maple Hill or when Paul yeah. did the Via from Open, they're like, "Uh-oh, we got to tiger-proof yeah. this thing because." Jamie, yeah. Jamie Thomas brought it up when I think they were playing the European Masters out at Yarva, and they talked about, you know, do we really need to tiger-proof? Because you have people like Simon, Garrett, you know, Paul, Ricky, all Eagle, all these guys who just absolutely smash. But then you're putting them on courses where, you know, what's your longest hole? 700 feet, but then your average hole is three to 400. They're, they're parking those almost every single time. It's insane. So, so. I think in what's one, uh, two, two closing thoughts. Someone brought up on the live chats, the idea of getting rid of par and playing by rating. Now I've actually thought down this road because it bothers me to think about par and all that, especially again, with all the junior divisions and all that. Um, why not just do ratings? Um, and have everybody play the same layout. And, and here's my thought process there. If we had like a par two course, if you ever seen one of those, it's more or less you throw your approach and then you hopefully drop in. If my son, I have four of them, but if my six-year-old, okay, who actually shout out to him. Can I do that live right now? My six-year-old no, just won. you cannot boast about your own son. Yeah. So everybody, I say everybody, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people have seen or follow my son who also has the name Hunter. Hunter Graham, uh, he's on Instagram and Facebook, and he has, okay, he has more followers than me. He's got thousands of followers. People love what he does. Um, he's he's he has a putting world title for eight and under. He's got a put a U.S. title for eight and under for putting, um, third place at Worlds. But here's where I'm going. My six year old just took down the six and under putting championship in the virtual league presented by Eagles Wings. Like he's starting to come into his own as well. Okay, that was me bragging on my kid, but but here's where <laughs> interesting thought. Interesting thought is a go go to like a par two course. What happens when my six year old plays against Paul Macbeth on a par two course? All eighteen holes are that. Is Paul going to get a very low rated round, or is my son who's six going to get a very high rated round? Because the reality is, once you play a course layout like that, there's not much room for obviously deviation in scores. So, like, what do you think? Like, which way is it going to go? I think it's going to be met in the middle. <laughs> so, so yeah. especially if it's only them two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I hate the ratings talk in the sense but, of but no so, one actually understands. Hunter and I talked about this a few months ago. <laughs> we all got into a serious <laughs> debate about it, is what are ratings in disc golf? Okay, so because, that's – I'm cutting you off so we can yeah, go to our next point. But that's literally what someone brought up is like, hey – why don't we go make it just ratings and no par? And I was yeah. kind of trying to get to that point is like, it's not good enough yet. <laughs> like we can't yeah. do yeah. that. Um, okay. I have one, yeah, uh, go ahead. one closing, closing thought. Um, it was about back to the people who like feel good when you shoot, you know, seven or eight under at a course. The, the thing that I think disc golf is missing in that aspect. And I think the tease is one answer um, but par becoming harder is another answer is it gives you a goal. So like if you're playing ball golf or traditional golf and you're shooting from the white tees, then you're like, Hey, I just broke a hundred from the white tees. Now let me do it on the blue tees. Now let me do it on the black tees. There's a next step to get to. If you, if I go out the local course here, peaks you park, it's a easy, you know, everything's a par three. I could shoot 15 under. Right. So what if I'm, that's the only course I ever play in my head, Paul's 15 under isn't impressive because of the par at this course and that's the only course i play so where is my motivation to go out there and get better and if i'm an outside sponsor looking in 
and I see people tearing up courses, where is my motivation to be like, oh, well, if they're shooting 19 under like 10 years from now. What, what is this sport going to be? It can't go anywhere. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> that's a good so point. Yeah. That's where my head's at with it. No, that's a great point. And so it, just to people, just to people in the boards, if they want to answer this and I'll put it out to you guys and we're wrapping this one up. I'll, I'll, we're going to get a shirt that literally says that for me is like, we're, we're done talking about this topic. And then like, it says it like 10 minutes later, we're done and talking then, about and this then topic. You just rip it off. And <laughs> still, we're almost done talking about this topic. <laughs> Cause that's how it goes. But I just want to put this question out. Cause I had thought about it is par and golf is one thing par and disc golf is another, but like, should we make holes that are, you have to throw two nearly perfect shots to get birdie. Or should it be like you can mess up and still get birdie? Like, should those be out there? And I guess it goes back to course design theory, the person who's installing it. Do they want to give them a little boost of motivation here and there? A couple, like we saw at uh, the Majestic. If you watch the coverage, there's like, a, they call it the jump putt hole. Like it's 110 feet long. So um, anyways, I don't know. Should you Should you always have a chance at birdieing a hole if you mess up or should you have to throw two nearly perfect shots to get your birdie? I think that would be cool if we made it way harder too. Yeah. But yep, that's going to go to another topic another day where we talk about baskets and distances as well. So, all right, moving on to the next topic, Nick. This was something that was really grinding your gears lately. So we're going to let them <laughs> yeah. rant on it for a little bit here. It's, this it's is like, topic number yeah. two. It's because I've had so many conversations about this topic. That it grinds my gear. It doesn't grind my gears at all. It really doesn't. It uh, because we're very, very fortunate that in the world of disc golf, we rarely have to pay to watch disc golf right now. I think this year is the first year that the Pro Tour is asking uh, people to pay monthly so that you can watch Pro Tour events. Unfortunately, with the whole COVID nineteen, we haven't been able to really execute that. Um, last year at USDGC, you had to pay ten dollars, and they had an outside company, Volcrum, coming in and. It was awesome. It actually was really good coverage. The live coverage was amazing. Um, and then they did have Spin TV doing post-round production. But pay to watch disc golf. Is that ever going to happen with post-round production? We have incredible, incredible filming companies working their butt off in almost every single high-level tournament. Jomas Pro, Central Coast, GK Pro, Parse Productions, Tea Time Disc Golf, Spin TV, you can go on and on and on. There's an incredible amount of people putting in just tons of man hours into creating the best disc golf coverage. I mean, look, look at Jomez Pro. They started out with, I think, two guys, maybe three guys. And then now at some tournaments, they're running with like 14 guys at it. It's insane. It, it's absolutely insane. When do we get to a point in disc golf where that potentially is going to cost money to have to watch Jomez Pro? thoughts he, he thoughts. just i, I kind of just want to like he put out when do bomb. we get when do we get to that point i obviously know the answer that most people are going to give this but i do want to hear people's reaction to it because it's it's a question that eventually is going to come up as inflation yeah. in the world grows there has to be ways that i don't know <laughs> so he just puts it out there like when are we going to start paying and i'll just say this 2021 nick, no i'm just kidding nick we're charging to watch the nick and matt show from here on out thanks to you so and we just go. lost all of our people <laughs> so and there, there was a joke on here earlier like what's it going to take to find out more information about like what's happening at foundation and someone joked about like level 27 patreon or something <laughs> like anyway it was, it was <laughs> yo whoever made that comment savage <laughs> 
<laughs> it was cracking me up. I will say this. I'm going to laugh for too long now. I will say this. It was funny because I was sitting next to my wife last night with, with your guys' live stream on, and I look over, and she's on her computer looking at uh, all the Patreon stuff, and I'm like, I didn't even know you were paying attention. Like she's, she's likes disc golf, but she's not into it. So like, I will yeah. say the marketing aspect is going to work. People are going to look it up and hopefully you guys are successful there. But to his point, and I'll just say, I'm going to give you my bias right up front and I'm not rich. I'm richer than probably 99% of the world. That's the way Americans are just in general. But like, I'm not rich, but I still think because I know what it takes to run any type of business, it takes money. Um, and good marketing, good people. But like, once you have that, like you need the money to make it work. And I think if we backtrack and I don't have any inside real scoop on like all the sources of like Jomez or CCDG or any of these others that are out there now, Terry Miller, Smashbox, all these people. But I can tell you this much. It's a lot of it's coming from tournament expenses. Like probably probably nearly the the major share of it all. Mm -hmm. And so I actually brought this up to my 10 year old today about the topic we're going to talk about because he was interested. And I said, where do you think, like, why do you think the people are filming these rounds? And he goes, so we can watch them. And I was like, yeah, he's like, I'm like, but what do they get out of it? He's like, um, and he kind of smiled. He's like, I guess they get nothing. And I was like, it's true. They're getting followers, but like right now, um, they're not getting anything for their work besides followers, which we know followers are important. You need them to also grow your brands and for people to be aware and exposure. But like they're they're getting creative. You guys at Foundation are getting creative. It's the Patreons. It's the new way to, to start to grow a, a community of people who are supporting you. Um, but if it comes out of tournaments, and this is where I'm going to go back to Nick's top topic here. If it comes out of tournament expenses, where do the tournament get their their money? Where does the tournament get their money? Yeah. The the people who are registering and sponsors. But what if they could take and I'm just going to throw a huge number out there. What if they could take 4 or $5,000 from that event and like put it back into like player experience or um payouts <laughs> or payouts. Um like what if they could do that and that's to people who are enjoying to watch the show that could support that. I am totally in favor of it. Let's bring up, I don't think it was mentioned yet, Disc Golf Pro Tour. Um, did you get a chance, Hunter, to see at the beginning of the um, season? <laughs> I think it was Waco. Did you get to see how that pay-per-play worked? Yeah, yeah. We've been subscribed since the beginning. Uh, I've actually, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think I think my thoughts on this topic are probably going to be a little uh, polarizing to the Disc Golf community. Please but. share. That's what the Nick and Matt show is about. So... Nick, I think the direct answer to your question of when will we pay to pay pay to watch post round coverage is never, um, because I think I think post round coverage will not exist in the future of the sport. Oh, because I don't think that that model makes sense as the sport grows. Like name one basketball game that you just go on YouTube and watch the next day as the main way you watch. Unless it's a random person's highlight of video of that game. So you never you never exactly. watch a full basketball game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or like yeah. or historical. Like they'll be like, hey, yeah. we're gonna have special this Easter weekend yeah. reviewing Paul's greatest round. I mean, like yeah. that kind of a thing. Exactly. Sure. Like I watched but you're, I watched You're never gonna watch the Masters on Monday when it was played on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because that hype isn't there anymore when it's not live. There's something about live sports that yes. 
draws us. Shout out and to so I think that shout out to Steve Dodge. I, I know he's a polarizing character. I actually just saw him. He'll be on our show at some point here in the near future. But to your point, live is where it's at. A million percent. Now the people are going to go, well, what if I can't? Um, no, I don't mean to make them whiny babies. Sorry. I should I should be more like, what if I can't watch it um, that weekend? And so, well, do what you do now with other live sports. You record it. You TiVo, you, whatever that is now. Like you just have it saved or you go find it and stream it um, later. But I agree that was a great point that you made. That's I mean, that's not like it's kind of a hot take in a way. I mean, it's not going to be around. So let's ask this question. When, when is is so Jomez and CCDG and Parsave and all these people, they're going to they probably are, if they're smart, already thinking of this model and shifting, I would imagine. I mean, they, yeah, I, yeah, I think they've got to be. Yeah, I would imagine they're obviously thinking about it, but I think that's what makes disc golf a very fun sport to watch in the sense of. Like for the Masters tournament when Tiger won it last year, spoiler alert, Tiger won the Masters last year. Pretty insane. Um, I watched his five hour round shot by shot. And the reason I watched it very casually, like I wasn't glued to the TV for all five hours, but that's the only coverage that I saw of his round in disc golf, your post round production companies, Jomez sometimes puts out two or three cards worth and the ladies division. It's, it's awesome. Their video, the amount of videos that they can pop out on any given tournament is incredible. And like Hunter said, you don't see that in any other sport. And that's where disc golf is at a really cool spot. I think is that we do have the opportunity because when you watch live in disc golf, you only watch the lead card for the most part. Every so often you get, you know, a little special with the second card, but in post round production, you do get to see the the chase card, the third card. And even sometimes at some tournaments, I think at worlds this year, they did the fourth card with a different company. So that's pretty insane. Who, who is this going to affect though? Like, okay. So I was thinking about this and Nick has a friend and I have a friend we grew up with. In fact, the friend I grew up with, it's funny. I'm in a different generation than Nick. I'm 35. How old are you, Nick? 25. Yeah. So we're 10 years difference. And my friend is his friend's brother. So like I have <laughs> where I'm trying to go with this is they both rock climb. Okay. And my friend, when I was growing up, turned into now today the u.s olympic climbing coach like he is hardcore like insane insane won lots of events all around the world that's what he does for his life okay and so nick this is his this my friend's younger brother is now who nick's hanging out with yeah so it's the same family and he also rock climbs but we, we were discussing this yesterday while we were playing around a disc golf like how did it work in the, the climbing world? Because it's also exploding as well. Like, are people paying to watch tournaments and climbing on cliffs? Like, are they paying to watch it? And I guess my question is this. Are, if, if climbing is not available on a, a major TV channel, am I going to go online and pay money to watch climbing? No, because I'm not really invested in climbing. So I guess my question is this, if it goes to that model that you talked about, right, Hunter? And I think Nick agreed. If it goes to that, who does it affect the most? Who are the people who are now not going to see disc golf that would have? It's in my opinion, and this is my take on it, it's going to be the non-disc golfers who actually we would love to have exposed to the sport. So I think there'd be like, in, I don't agree with your take. I mean, I don't disagree with your take. But I think it's it's also you have to figure out how to still have that exposure to people who aren't interested in disc golf. Like we want them to be interested. And so what, what do you have for a thought on that? Would it just be at the local tournaments, but not everybody has those? 
like coming to their town. So, I mean, like, how would we fix that problem? I think it's still the social media side. I mean, it's like I follow the PGA Tour on Instagram, even though I never watch a PGA Tour event live. So as a like person who enjoys golf and watches golf here and there, I keep up to date with what's going on simply because I stumbled to a video on Instagram. And they do a and this is perfect. You don't see our show notes, but here's where it goes. And they tell a story. There's some reason that you get invested to want to watch. Is Rory going to beat so-and-so? Is Tiger, when he goes straight up ahead against Mickelson, like what's going to happen? Like it's it's built a story over the years, and I think disc golf and there, everybody's trying, but it really needs to keep pushing that button and progressing and telling stories and making that public, making that portion public. So look at Jomez here. Shout out to them again. Um, look at Jomez, this last Worlds. The player profiles, they made those public. If you didn't know disc golf, but you watched that, you were interested in Paige Pierce. You were interested in uh, Keith Emerson. like Emerson Keith. Yeah, Keith Emerson. Is there a Keith Emerson in the sport somewhere? I don't know. I think think Jeremy Colling said that he thought originally it was Keith Emerson when he looked at like a tournament who was in it. All right. Shout out to him. But so, yeah, Emerson Keith is like you didn't you didn't know really who he was i mean i'd heard about him and i've never beyond that but once you watch the story there was there was a strong part of me that was like dude i want to see him take down paul not because i want paul to lose but because of how great that story would be for disc golf um so you're right i think that was a great response to that is i think we need to tell better stories so that people can still connect outside of viewing the actual event yeah, that was great. Yeah, I think that also just, in general, it will end up growing the sport more. I think this is just the growing pains we're at. Mm-hmm. We're at a point where there needs to be outside money into the sport. Yeah. If you track the money in the sport, it's a never-ending cycle that basically we as players are the outside money. Yeah. That money goes into tournaments and goes into retailers that pours it into manufacturers that pours it into players that then promote their discs that goes back to us that we then buy that and it circles and it goes and goes around and, and around and tournaments around. that we are now going in and then it's a never ending cycle but there's no infusion of outside cash yeah as soon as we open the pay to play and or pay to well pay to play is a whole nother story pay to view then i think the pro tour you know is now they have this thing they can cycle in right they have this thing of we can guarantee you this tournament, we have this many subscribers. Hey, Under Armour, this is what you're marketing to now. We're the only way people can view this Yeah, type of a thing. Yeah, and so... You don't have to... You don't have the, like... it. Realistically, when Jomez puts out a video to an advertiser, you can look at their general views. You can look at general everything, but... Uh, and I love Jomez. I love their, like, all the guys. Yeah, on it, oh, but yeah. you don't know... You don't know the true value of how many views that's bringing in. Is it going to be a world with a million views or is it going to be a world with 100,000 views? Yep. So if you have a big time sponsor, they want that analytic. They want that number of this is our average viewer. And it's hard to get that when it's post round because you don't know. You don't know really a general number. You don't have a good way to track it because people are going to come based on like what you said, the story, the story from after the round, though, which is Paul just clutched up on 18. Now I'm going to watch that round yep. versus... I want to see what Paul does during this round. And I think that's the different difference in marketing that is going to be a huge step forward, but it's going to be a really painful step forward, especially for the disc golf community that we love post-round production. We love Joe yeah. as Parse, yeah. gatekeeper. 
it's going to be a tough Band-Aid that'll eventually probably slowly yeah. and painfully have to be ripped off. Um, but I don't know when the time frame is of that. Which I'd rather slowly rip off this Band-Aid because I love post-round production. I love the film and crews who do it. They do an absolutely incredible job. Um, watching Follow Flight Mike edit is insane. I've seen it a couple times and the stuff they put out, I just, I really hope everyone appreciates the kind of the blessing that we have in disc golf as either casual players, pro players, amateur players, like to have free post round production from some of the best filming crews is insane. Yeah. So this is kind of, um, I think it's working out here. This is kind of a surprise. What did I just do? Um, did I actually merge in the calls here? So this was kind of last minute, extremely last minute, actually. I don't know if it just went through. We actually just invited on Johnny V from Smashbox. I saw him in the comments and uh, he heard us talking. He says, did somebody say live? <laughs> so <laughs> let me just see. I thought I just pulled him in, merged the calls here. Um, uh, Johnny, pe oh. people can hear you though. So <laughs> go ahead and say Probably hi. Won't say anything bad yet. No, you can you can say so. Nick, actually, go ahead and start him. Get get his thoughts on this. All right. Well, obviously, you tuned in right when we said live disc golf. Someone said a wild Johnny appears, and here you are because we said <laughs> yeah, live disc golf. <laughs> so, uh, kind of give us your thoughts on everything we've been talking about: pay to watch disc golf, pay for live feed. What's going on? Um, I think we are at disc golf, and maybe you guys mentioned it. I was kind of on and off trying to get on, so I don't know exactly what you're talking about. But I think you did kind of mention it in that the pro tour. We're at a really uh, unique spot with disc golf. We have a big enough fan base where people want to see live, mm -hmm. but not nearly big enough where anybody cares about us. But as we get better internet providers, 5G, when it eventually rolls out in the next three, four, five years, maybe satellite with uh, <laughs> Elon Musk shooting yeah. up satellites into the yeah, world, yeah. Um, that, that will eventually change where we can push 40 20, 30, 40 meg per second like they can. And at that point, it makes no sense to have post-production because the, the the quality that you could get from the live can be cut down to be just as good as the post-production. Yeah, so, yeah. So will you... For years to come. I, I can't see that. Honestly, I don't see that happening for another five years. I was years. just going to ask the <laughs> yeah. question. That was going to be my question is like, what is your prediction? Your best, your best dart throw here, when that's going to happen. And I feel like, yeah, who knows? Are we going to ramp up extremely quick in the next couple of years? I think it could happen. COVID-19 really, really put a damper on everything. <laughs> but like it was a promising start, even with the pay to play to watch disc golf pro oh, tour. Like, I mean, yeah. it was promising. They, they put the numbers out there, so I'm not speaking yeah. out of turn, that the Pro Tour got like 5,000 subscribers. I, it was, yeah. I think it was actually up to 6,000 at one point. It has dropped back, yeah. obviously, people losing their jobs and being out of work and no disc golf. A lot of those just month-by-month -month subscribers tailed off. But I've looked at the numbers, and they're still pretty – they are better now than I predicted they would be by the end of the year. Yeah, yep. and so – yeah, so that's yeah. exactly – the that's the stamp on it saying like it was a promising future. I, that's what I'm saying. We don't know what it might look like, but in the next five years, yeah, maybe it just really ramps up. So can we just get a hot take from you? Like is pay to, is yeah. pay to watch the future of disc golf? It, it is for now. Yeah. There's uh, – I mean, the future hopefully is a big enough audience that a major sponsor yes. looks at us, throw a bunch of money at us. Well, right. And then we don't, 
And then we don't have to charge. Exactly. So like NFL, <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA. I mean, yeah. yeah, we can watch all that over the air with antennas. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. That's cool. But like you had said about, about, about climbing, if you were really into it, you'd pay for it. Yeah. yeah. Look at, look at any other uh, niche sport and they have a pay-per-view option, but whether it's darts, who, swimming, uh, bocce ball, whatever it is. <laughs> It, it, it's out there for you if you want to watch it but who who to- are the biggest complainers it's the pe- you said if you care but it's also the people who are the most closest to the core of the sport that are the complainers you have the fringe yeah. people who think it's cool that are like of course i'll pay i paid i pay to play a round of mini golf like why don't i yeah. pay to watch what to i like? watch yeah what like, you love doing it, it just sense. blows my mind so yep. yeah um anyways thanks for coming on the show um oh. I think I started you out with a little echo because I brought someone in midstream and I'm using NDI and all this stuff, but I fixed it up. We've all been been there. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. We're going to bring Hunter back on, but thanks for stopping. And we really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. If you guys ever want to talk, I'm here. All right, man. Just say a lot times I show up. (laughs) Exactly. We'll say live and boom, a while Johnny V appears. Appreciate (laughs) you coming on. (laughs) Yeah. We'll talk to you later. All right. All right. See you later, guys. Okay, guys. Page wave. Yeah. So, um, I got to get him out of there now because we got him just sitting there blankly. But okay. So here we are. I'm gonna call back uh, Hunter because we yep. booted him out so rudely. What's up, Hunter? Welcome back. How's it going? What up? All right. Good. So, hey, so did you I, happen to hear any of that topic? I mean, when we brought him on, did you hear any of it? Uh, I heard. I caught the very last okay. bit. I was actually working uh, <laughs> on a few upcoming stamps. So. Oh boy. Um, some. Uh, <laughs> interesting stuff coming up but anyways i heard the last little bit there he says he says maybe in the next five years he gave a hot take that um it's gonna be like it'd be more or less the pay to pay to watch is like the thing like it's gonna be outdated to have post-production that was his number so i can see that yeah so i think that's a i think it's a valid number one of the things johnny b said i'm just gonna highlight it really quick he said that more than likely there will be no need for post round production because eventually everyone will be so into it that they'll watch live coverage. But because in disc golf, we have seen so much post production. There are so many people who watch, like I've, I've watched almost all the tournaments live since live came out and I still go back. Cause I want to watch that final round. I want to watch that edited high quality version and you get to relive moments, you know, and you get to show your friends those moments. Like people who didn't see it live, they can go and watch Paul shoot 18 down or, you know, they get to see these incredible moments. So I think that's what's kind of awesome about our sport is that we do have incredible post round production. No. Yes. Yeah, so I want to be very clear. I'm a very opinionated person. I literally love Jomez. I love, I think just to throw this out there, my claim to fame with Jomez is they spent two weeks in my basement producing coverage. So like I've hung out, I've played music. We've ate dinner together. We're friends. I love Jomez. I love CCD. Like their quality of their coverage is amazing. Par save. Uh, I don't want to miss anybody, but all these companies all them, are awesome. Yeah. I wish them the best. And I hope that as any good business would do, they've, they, I'm sure they have it under their control. I'm sure they're working on the future. Oh, um, okay. So we've really, we've really exhausted that topic. Is there anything that I missed that we should continue to talk about? Or do we want to finish out with the game now? You ready? Yeah, Uh, I have, I have one final like little topic on there. It's just, I don't think post round. I don't think, I think post round as we know it will go away um, in the future. But I think like what you're talking about, Nick, I think post round will always be there in a, 
in a sense, but yep. it'll probably be more edited, like uh, uh, edited live coverage. That like makes sense. like oh. Smashbox and Pro Tour have done. They do edit the rounds. Yeah. And so or, maybe posted a week later. Or yeah, exactly. Yes, or and this is just coming from my media visual background. Why not like tell a story of how the round happened as opposed to sh showing shot by shot? Like yeah. here's a here's like and even have like a, a narrator, a commentator, a voiceover saying, you know, and coming into hole eighteen, Paul, you know, was was down two. Like kind of telling a story, putting a documentary feel on how the round went. That would be very cool as well. Mm -hmm. And then you could pay to watch the round or something. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, I I think that is kind of I think that's going to be something that will transition is, you know, maybe the pro tour says, sure, Joe Mez, Central Coast, you can come in, but you can't release your coverage next day. You know, when you're shooting yep. a pro tour event, your coverage needs to come out three days later so that we if you want to be in the know, you've got to watch it live. And I think that's the transitional period that kind of transitions us, transitions us out. But to your point, if you still want to show it to people, if you still want to go rewatch Paul's 2014 world, so if that ever happens again, you know, something crazy that you want to relive, there will be some type of post round. It just won't be the main way we consume content anymore. Yeah. Johnny B just commented real quick round recaps, you know, like Matt was just saying the story of it round recaps are awesome. I love that the pro tour actually was doing a ton of fun stuff when it came to interviewing the players after their rounds, you know, like, you know, Paul got onto the lead card, second round Memorial, and he said, you know, don't worry about the third round. I'll be leading it. People got to see kind of some fire that was going on with him. He disappointed me, but that's all right. Um, and then he said, I, Johnny B said, and I think post-round production will have a long life. And I think we all 100% agree with that. And like Hunter said, you know, very early on, they get paid from tournaments, and then they also get paid, say, from YouTube. I don't know the exact YouTube algorithm on how much they're making I don't care to know that it's not my business, but they kind of have a pretty awesome opportunity right now. A good two way street going on with them of their means at the moment. And like you said, I'm sure they are all really thinking about what the future has in store for the filming of disc golf. Yeah. It's the product. And for those of you who are concerned that the product is going to change from what you love currently without change, without change, you don't have growth. And honestly, yeah. growth brings a better product usually, especially when competition is involved. Mm -hmm. With that, we're going to wrap up that topic. And we have people still watching right now live. Stick around. We're not done. We have a game. And if you haven't seen it yet, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I'm going to get the intro up and then we'll explain the rules to you. Okay, Hunter, here we go. Judge that disc golfer. The game show where you judge a disc golfer you've never met. Hey, man, what's your name? David Galvin. David Galvin. How long have you been playing disc golf for? Three years. Three years. So do you have a professional disc golf association rating or number? I do. Okay. So uh, what number do you have? Do you know? 907. Nine? My rating. Oh, your rating's 907. Yes. Okay. Do you know your PDGA number? 105013. Okay. So I'm giving my co-host here and our, our guest a little bit of insight into who you are. You've been playing, you said five years. Um, do you, three years. Do you play any tournaments? Yes. Okay. So let me ask this question. What's the best you've ever placed at a tournament in what division? Uh, first Sam 2 First and AM2. This is perfect. So this is this is excellent. This is excellent insider information. So let's ask the first question. How far can you throw a disc? Like max. Okay, so 
now you kind of you got a feeling there on who this guy is here's the way the game's played i already see people playing along i love it they're already commenting they're like this guy can smash so if you haven't seen it yet hunter which we've only been doing this is our fourth week you have to judge that disc golfer who you've never met just based off of that introduction and we're going to ask that question how far can you throw a disc now your goal is to guess what he's going to answer and whoever is closest between you and Nick, because I know the answers as the person doing the interview, uh, whoever's closest is not prices, right? Rules, uh, is the winner. And we have, I think six questions with a seventh. If we need a tiebreaker, let me just put them up here again, a freeze frame. So you can see them boom like that. How far can he throw a disc? It looks like it, we have people already guessing. Um, all right, here we go. So let's let's start with Nick. We're not going to make the guest go first here, Nick. So how far can he throw a disc? I just say, uh, spoiler alert to Hunter, I am 0 for 3 in this game right now. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not very good at my guesses. But for this guy, I'm going to go with a solid 320. 320 feet is... Feet. Yeah, 320 feet is your guess. So actually, um, there, I put it up on the behind view, so now we can all see him still staring at us. Um, okay, so 320 feet. Let's go back to uh, Hunter. What do you think he's going to answer? Uh, I'm going with a solid 350. Okay, so this is probably right around the closest we've ever been with yeah. guesses. So yep. this is going to be, if it's over 350, it's yours. If it's under, it's, okay, here we go. Let's see um, what he answers uh let's put it up like this for now 370 okay 300 feet and 70 i don't know feet. who we stumped or if nick got that right or we'll, we'll figure that out okay so uh 370 it goes to hunter hunter so we're we're getting, we're getting used to this here hunter that he's just gonna that i just lose yeah. okay <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm used to beating nick don't don't worry <laughs> Awesome. Never once in a practice round. <laughs> okay. So we have people guessing, you know, he's going to say 360, 379. 379, Brandon Hinckley commenting live. Congrats to him. I think that was, right. I mean, that, one, yeah. that was closest because the 360 someone guessed was off by one compared to that. Okay. Here we go. Question number two. We ask, here we go. Here and and uh, we're going to move on. Let's ask this question. Um, did you keep track of your score today? Yes. Or somebody did. Yeah. Do you know how many? Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. That that doesn't necessarily double, give double, it away. We saw we saw a tip there. It's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be a little hint. But how many birdies? Not your score. How many birdies did you get? Okay. How many birdies did this guy? get he's thinking hard about it how many birdies did uh he get all right we're gonna go we're yeah, switching hundred, it up, hundred, hundred hundred goes up. First. yep i mean nick's got a clear advantage here because i know I the course know what this course looks he played at. he played uh, this he, is obviously this is obviously at maple hill and yes. Matt, we're gonna tell you in a minute okay. it's whites and whites to shoot par you're probably shooting like 960 or so somewhere in that ballpark probably to shoot par yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he said he was 907 so just to give you an idea feel on it well i'm assuming by his hand singles i might have looked too much into this i'm assuming he's saying he was three down that's and that's so what i'm thinking i i'm going with i'm going he had a five birdie two bogey round five okay. so five, five right. birdies two bogeys okay so what let's see the guess is coming in as well um 
Yeah. Okay. So we need them to tell if 18 or 24 uh, people are asking. This is 18 whole course here at Maple yeah. Hill. Okay. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, all right. I got to think white layout, just over 900 rated shot three down, which is pretty decent on the white course. Actually. Um, Hunter said five, five birdies, two bogeys. I'm going to go with six birdies. You don't have to say the bogeys. Three. How many, yeah. how many birdies? So you got six birdies. Okay. Six. So Hunter says five. So if it's less than five, it's hunt or five or less, it's hunters. If it's six or more, it's Nick's. Let's see what he says. Here we go. Five, five, five. Oh, God. Okay. I'm reading this five guy like a book, awesome. man. Um, what if I was going to say that? Yeah. And you took it from me <laughs> the one time. You told me to go first. That's how the, that's how the game works. Okay. Um, so five, you nailed it. That's awesome. So two points to Hunter, zero to Nick. This is becoming regular. Oh yeah. I Anytime like someone wins, I actually just paid for Simon Lazat's lunch. Oh. I still owe Hannah lunch and Matt, I'm pretty sure beat me. I don't know when I'm going to see Matt next, but I owe him lunch. So yeah. Matt Kruger, you just last week. Think about um, Hunter. I can only take him to like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you can call in a pizza for me. Okay. okay. Yeah, right. that's All true. Right. That's oh, true. I will do that, actually. That's true. We live in an age, day and age when we can PayPal and Zen Venmo and order pizzas, DoorDash. There you go. All right. Um, here we go. So question three. Nick's still not out of it. Let's pull it up and um let's go ahead and see question number Asked three. What layout you played? Um okay, we'll do that now. What what layout did you play? Whites. Okay, whites. So do you typically play whites? First time in like a year and a half. Probably. Okay. How often do you play at Maple Hill? Like a lot. Okay. So just in general then, what is your favorite hole at Maple Hill? It's Cody. <laughs> okay. He had to ask a question. He's like, what's your favorite hole? Uh, hey, Cody, hey, what's my favorite uh, hole? So he plays with his friends. There was actually a small gallery watching this. Um, they were good sports later. We, I'll talk about that maybe later. But um, what do you got, Nick? What's his favorite hole? He says they play whites. A hole eight. I'm just going to say a hole eight over the water. <laughs> hole, hole eight over the water. That's your guess. He said he could throw that far at least this time. Last time you guessed the uh, the person who could throw 150 feet max, yeah. you said over the water. That was a bad choice. Yeah. Okay, Forget so he says hole eight. That. So you've watched coverage. Talking about post-round coverage. You've watched Maple Hill coverage before, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you describe, if you describe the hole, we'll tell you what hole number it is. Well, I was 100%. I think hole eight's it, but uh, obviously I'm not going to guess that because I got no chance of winning there. So there's other water holes. There's the hole one. Yeah. There's hole 14 as water. And then you have epic holes, like iconic, like hole 13 plays Eight, downhill. The 18. one that Paul jumped a hundred footer, like that was 13. I, I don't think he's a hole one guy. I think it's the the hole that it plays out over the water. It's a hyzer that comes into the hillside. So that's it's 14 like golds right on the water. for whites. Whites, they don't play. Oh, I mean, he could be playing any layout. I understand that. That's true. He could be playing any layout. Yeah, so that's hole 14. If you're going with that guess, the blues and the gold layout both go over the water. But the white doesn't? The white doesn't. The white's actually tucked in the woods it in a different... It actually plays over water. It goes over water, but not <laughs> not the way that that one does. It's a small lake you that really you really messed over. me up here, Nick. I was sold on hole eight. 
So you, I'll just yeah. go, I'll go, I'll go hold one. A whole, I'll, go hold hey, one. I'll say this. Hole 18 is not a bad choice. It's very iconic. <laughs> okay. I'll give you a little help. Don't get in my head. I'm talking <laughs> about got... hole one. Hole 17 goal. All right. Best all right. Hole in the world. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Let's see what he answers. The answers came in 18, eight, one second. People are changing. Here we go. Let's see. People what are making answers. fun of my headphones. There is 13 blue over the water. 14, 14 blue. 14 blue. That's an excellent hole. Dang um, it. All right. <laughs> Nick, Nick. Nick, you talked me out of it. How dare you? Wait, actually, technically, uh, I won that one. So that was yes. good. Just yeah, mental mind did. games. Okay. I, I said I gave you what hole number it was. If anything, I was helping out a friend. But then you immediately followed it up with white tee doesn't go over the water. Yeah, okay. but there's four layouts at Maple. Okay, so that's true. And he did say they play white. It sounded like mainly. So it, was, it wasn't it was unfair of Nick, but it's no, unfortunate. He, I, I, he said he hadn't played whites in about a year and a half, oh. but he plays Maple every day. See, Hunter didn't catch on to that. All right. And little little All psychological right. warfare going on. All right, here we go. Let's pull him up. Look how cool he's looking right there. That's that's awesome. Let's go to question. Are we up to question four, I think? Yeah. Two to one. Two to All one. right, here we go. How many aces do you have in your three years of disc golf? Okay, how many aces does he have in his three years of disc golf? Um, 907 rated, plays Maple a lot. I don't know where else he plays. But how many aces does he have? Now, Nick. How many aces do we have combined over the first three weeks? Uh, Zero. I was going to say, I, I don't think anyone's nobody, got one yet. Nobody has said yeah. they've had an ace yet. This, so, dude's, this dude's an ace machine. I'm feeling it. An ace machine. So is it Hunter's Hunter? Hunter's yeah. It's me. All right, Hunter. I How many aces? I looked at him, and the number three came to my head. No reason to thank it, but I'm going three. I was going to say three because he's been playing for three years. Dang it. <laughs> As Hunter would say, dang it all. Um, <laughs> all right. I don't want to go too safe on this because that's no fun. I'm going to go two. So Nick just. Like I, no, I, I, went, I went safe. I was going to say like six or seven, but I was like, that'd be stupid <laughs> yeah, impressive. No, Nick's learning. Like, I, so, I yeah, have... I, I kind of want to win one of these. You know, it is part <laughs> my show. I would like to win and stop paying for people's lunches. So. Nick's learning after he's yeah. like, I'm going to go like double digits. He says with a guy who is like, could throw 150 feet. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He's like, I'm going to go with I was, like, I was like, solid time. I also, I, I play to the fans. Like, people are saying three. People are saying seven. Kind of like the seven. But I'm going to go with a happy medium. I'm going to go fans. with two. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's letting the fans sway him. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's see. I swear to God, if he says zero, I'm done. If he says zero. All right, I know what he says. Maybe that's why I'm laughing so hard. Let's see. One. One right. ace. Awesome. You are one ace so that is a point for nick we're tied two to two now so that i think there's yeah there's two questions left let's see how it goes Man. here let's see you're the first person <laughs> on our game show to ever have an ace oh, so nice. good job <laughs> um okay let's ask this question who is do you know professional disc golf at all yeah okay who's your favorite professional disc golfer female male doesn't matter your favorite pro Okay, who's his favorite professional disc golfer? Last week, the player answered, I do not know any by name. <laughs> does, this, does this nice, fine contestant here or guest on our show know professional disc golfers? And who's his favorite? I think this is Nick's question. It is. Rocking a Discraft shirt. Shout out. Paul Macbeth. All right. He's going with uh, number one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, if, I if, think that one. 
I think that's it. If you've watched the show the last couple of weeks, Hunter, you would know who people are guessing. So let's see how much you really enjoy this show. I'm just saying, look at the dude's wearing a like classic Discraft tee. You know, he's rocking the grip bag. This guy's a Paul fan uh, through and through. But, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to just say, because he's thinking about it, he's taking his time a little bit. I'm going to say that he's a Paige Pierce fan. Oh, that is a, a bold good, strategy. Yeah. We've got lots of bold strategies every <laughs> week. Okay, let's see what he answers as his uh, favorite player. Simon Lazat. Simon oh, okay. Lazat. The... Nick, did we stump you? If you had to choose one, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm gonna pause it. Um, so the reason why I said that Hunter is because more often than not, people have been saying Simon Lazat and that's my easy go-to answer. And especially Simon's local to us now. I was going to say, it makes sense. I should have thought through it. Exactly. I that's I tried to help you out again. You just didn't <laughs> feel like taking my advice. Well, the last time you tried helping me out, you kind of screwed me. So <laughs> right. I, I don't really trust your advice. Right <laughs> I plug your ears. Da, da, da. Okay. Here we go. Um, you're not alone though. Everybody on the board was answering Paul. So it's yeah. just, it is what it is. Okay, so let's flip there's it no over. No points there, right? What, what was that? that? Is it? There's no points on that one. Oh yeah, no. All points. right, yeah, no points. No points. Still two to two. But I mean, I guess the guy, you guess the female, <laughs> and technically <laughs> he is... chose a guy, so it's my no. show, my rules. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I guess I guess the blonde, and he picked the blonde. Okay. All right, here we go, All Foundation. Right. All right. <laughs> All right. The Nick and Matt right, show is two going two. on to question number six. So really, if you get this Something. right, if you had to choose one disc golf mold, okay, like the type of disc, not necessarily the plastic and all that, but like one mold, the name of that disc, what would your favorite be? Okay, what would his favorite be? Now, this is obviously like, this was our tiebreaker question a few weeks ago. <clears throat> I just want to see if the chat board here has any ideas. I mean, just based off of judging him alone, you already guessed Paul, and I'm yeah. giving you guys insight here. I'm giving you a few tips. Hint, hint. You guessed Paul, and he's wearing a Discraft shirt, but it was Simon. That's my hint for you. All right, so I think it's going to be Hunter's first. Yeah. <laughs> we we actually I had mean, this I'm the first time on that I was on a Foundation podcast. We had the debate on the greatest disc in disc golf, and Hunter and I completely disagreed on what it was, but I think he's going to side with what I'm about to say. So I gave I you the hint. I gave you the hint, and I'll say it stronger one more time. His favorite player is Simon, not Paul. Yeah, what up, Abel? All right. So there he is. He's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. All right. What do you got? I think it's Hunter's. Hunter's up. Yeah. Man, I mean, it's got to be just mania. So, but I mean, there's so many. I mean, you can go with any of Simon's signature discs. I I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say his favorite disc is a P2. Okay, P two. Yeah, yeah. See, I was gonna say Sky God, which is a P two, but I forgot that we're kind of just basing it off of whatever. So I'm gonna go with a DD three. Okay, let me ask you this question: Do you guys want to um, have a tiebreaker after this, or do you want this to be the tiebreaker? Because neither of you are right. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I'll, I will give his answer. Yeah, well, so let's well, no, the answer. No, yeah. I, I, that's what I'm trying to say. Do you want this to yeah. be the tiebreaker where you keep guessing until you get it? How fun is I the next question? The no, the next question yeah. is literally just inside information that I know about him. We actually don't have video for it. 
Okay, so yeah, let's just uh, let's just guess until we get it right. Okay, so here we go. Okay. I'll give you this one more hint. So yeah, it's back to the, your guess. The hint is correct. It is obviously Discmania. So let's go again, and <laughs> let's see who gets it right. Uh, the chat board. Um, I can't I can't say if it came in on the chat board or not because then because I can read Nick it. can read it, <laughs> but. <laughs> So, and he's like, quick, get on my computer. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what do you think, Hunter? I'm going FD3. That was my second guess. FD3. Okay. M MD3. MD3 is correct. Dang it. Hey. So. Oh, how do I lose to Nick and Nick? <laughs> hey, don't worry. I'll still buy you lunch. It's the way it was supposed to be, apparently. <laughs> you can't come on his show and beat him, but that's okay. You wanted to. All right. So I wanted it. Yeah. So <laughs> let me just see. I think I think we just finished out by saying thanks, but let's just see. MD3. MD3. Awesome. Okay. And then just about done here. Um, what is? The, you might have to take a little bit to think about this, but there's no spe specification or criteria to how you answer this. But what is the craziest thing you've ever seen on a disc golf course? Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to do this every week. That's just how this game is going to go. That was not the tiebreaker. This is the chance to tie it up, Hunter. If you can, like, this is kind of crazy. Like, what is the craziest thing he's ever seen on the disc golf course? Um, we got to go to Nick because I think that's how the answers are going here. So, Nick, what's the craziest thing? Hmm. It's always has, it always has something to do with an ace. So... He saw it, but I I don't know. I'm all about the animals. <laughs> I'm all about he the saw animals, a disc hit it a squirrel. Uh, I immediately. Okay, so he immediately thought of, and now Nick's bringing it back to his original. He has to guess animals. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I just feel like a it's disc more hit fun. a squirrel. Okay, a disc hit a squirrel. All right. Actually, that happened at Maple Hill, wasn't that? What yeah. round was Chipmunk it? Gate. Uh, Michael, Chipmunk Michael Gate. Michael Johansson, Johansson versus uh, yeah. Bradley Williams. Okay, Chipmunk so Gate. it's it's relevant. All right, what do you got, Hunter? I, I'm I'm just going a tree kick throw in. A tree kick, as in like an like an ace, like a tree kick in. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say an ace because I want to like keep it broad, but <laughs> he just, want, huh, he just wants it. That's how it works. He's like, he's like, well, broken. technically he threw it in from the tee pad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Get out of here. All right. What uh, do you want to say? We'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. So like a tree kick in or like, okay, that's what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's pull it up. Let's see what he says here. Thought of hole two in old glory. We are playing whites and a guy threw it in the woods it disappeared for like five seconds and then he aced the wrong hole reds out of the woods okay so we would call that a black ace yes. okay so that, that was the craziest thing you've ever seen okay so it, man if we had a judges panel it'd be close he said it went through the woods it disappeared and then it came it out clearly in the off a tree. it could have yeah. got in the basket. <clears throat> it really could have but I didn't say black ace. So no. I, if I was a judge, I wouldn't give it to me. All right. Well, um, well good thing because I'm the judge and you lost. So, <laughs> so what I, I follow up here is I say a bear because if you did that again, that's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I just really want someone to see a bear. Okay. So that was tonight's show. Um, we are really excited to be continuing to do this. If you watched this far, 
<laughs> our show, yeah, our show is running. Uh, it's about hour forty almost every week. So um, if you follow this far live, awesome. We totally appreciate it. If not, we're gonna try to snip it up and have it available in small chunks. Again, subscribe on uh, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Go check out Foundation. They've got crazy. They've got unlimited levels of Patreon. You just yeah. m- make it up as you go. And um, but that's awesome. The growth Hunter- of the sport. Plug your social medias. Where can people find you? All that jazz. The people yeah, want to know. You can, find us, you can find us at Foundation Disc Golf on pretty much every platform out there. Um, the the one that we're most active on is normally YouTube. But if you want to stay up to date with all the disc drops and stuff happening, uh, the place to be is going to be Instagram or Discord. That one just launched. Uh, we, we've got a Discord. I'll probably post the link on Instagram after this. Um, it, I'm just learning it, but it, this thing's pretty sick. Yeah, dis- a lot of, Discord's uh, awesome. A lot of jumping in and chatting between me, Brody, Paul, and uh, a lot of stuff goes on in there first. So, awesome. Heck yeah! Totally appreciate it, man. We're we're glad to have you on. We're gonna go ahead and uh, sign off. So, adios. This was the Nick and Matt show. Thank you guys for joining. Till next week, uh, we'll see you around. Peace out. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Nick and Matt show. Be sure to check us out on your favorite social platform and subscribe on iTunes.